Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, Episode 4. But being ethical isn't something that you can turn on and turn off. If you're making these ethical decisions while you are talking with a student, and then you go out and you aren't thinking what's best for, for somebody and you act differently, then how can you say you're really an ethical practitioner? You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Hello, teachers and educators. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you are staying safe and healthy. It has been quite the adjustment, hasn't it, in the last few weeks, switching to completely online school. And now uh, most states, like they have here in Pennsylvania, have announced that we are out for the rest of the school year, which is just crazy to think, you know, I'm not going to see some of my students in person anymore. And uh, I know many of you are dealing with those same emotions, so I will not belabor it anymore. (laughs) We have a great show for you today. I sit down with Dr. Karen Dickinson. Dr. Dickinson is one of those people who, from a very early age, she knew exactly what she wanted to be when she grew up. She came from a long line of teachers, and for as long as she remembered, that's all she wanted to do was uh, to be a teacher, which is what she did. She graduated from college and got her first job as an elementary teacher, but to her surprise, after only a few years in the classroom, she started to feel called into something else, and that was counseling. And now after two decades of being a school counselor, she's gone back for a PhD and is now a professor of counseling, not psychology, which I screwed up in this interview. But while she is not in these school buildings anymore, she is leaving her impact in a much bigger way now by teaching and mentoring potential school counseling candidates at the collegiate level. And uh, we've got a fun conversation today. Uh, We actually talk a little bit about some of her research experience when it comes to bullying and students with special needs. And what I thought was the cool thing about her research is that it actually did not produce the findings that they were expecting, which then caused them to adjust their interventions. And that just sounds so obvious, (laughs) but it's just a great little moment that really epitomizes why I started this podcast in the first place. So listen up for that part of our conversation. As always, everything that we talk about on this episode can be found on our show notes page, which I'll be honest, I think I do a pretty good job of putting together for a one-man band. <laughs> so if for nothing else, just go check them out for me. They're at jabadoo.com slash show four. That is J-A-B-B-E-D-U dot com slash show with number four. And with that, let's get into our conversation with Dr. Karen Dickinson. Today we have on Dr. Karen Dickinson. Dr. Dickinson, welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. So let's get started with uh, just who is Karen Dickinson? How, what was your experience coming through school? And what were the, some, of the, some of the things that led you down the path that you ended up taking? Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure if this is true for a lot of people, but when I was very young, I wanted to be a teacher. And um, I played school and I loved school, loved my teachers, and um, I loved pretending I was a teacher. I come from a long line of educators and helping people. So uh, I wound up graduating high school a year early to get to college. I was that excited. Thought I wanted to be a school psychologist and then decided that's not necessarily what I wanted to do because I wanted to be with students a little bit more. 
Um, most of what I knew him to be a teacher, so I started with that. And most of what came after that came from actually being in the field. And so I, I that was something that was a surprise to me, uh, especially since I kind of had focused on, I definitely want to be a teacher, I like helping ch children, um, I love being with children. But it wasn't until I got to the classroom um, and I was an elementary teacher and a special ed teacher, I thought, I need to do something different, but I wouldn't have known that if I wasn't in that first. Sure. Um, so growing up, I did a lot of helping things. I did tutoring and babysitting and um, just working with people, camp counselor, things like that. Uh, a lot of service organizations, uh, anything having to do with people. Yeah. That was, uh, we were talking before I hit record. Uh, I'm kind of the same way. I, I needed to do, do something with, with people. Uh, I had a, uh, a warehouse job for, and it lasted three weeks. <laughs> After three weeks, I was done. I needed to be, <laughs> needed to chat with people. Absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, so now you are um, professor of psychology, correct? At of, Westchester? Of counseling. So oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It's a little different. Um, in fact, a lot of the students that applied to the programs aren't quite sure because um, our profession doesn't do a, a real good job of differentiating between what a social worker does, what a psychologist does, what a counselor does. Um, and school counseling a little, is a little different than clinical counseling as well. So when I was a teacher, um, and I knew I wanted to do something with a little bit more, uh, the populations that were more at risk, I found a program, I thought, this is me, and it was school counseling, because uh, I wanted to work in a school, and um, I wanted to help teachers, and I wanted to help students, and I wanted to help parents. Then when I was a school counselor, I thought, oh, I need to get to them differently. <laughs> I need to get to them as they're training, and I need to get to the system, which is what drove me into my, my doctoral program. So I was a school counselor for over 20 years, and have been a counselor educator for eight, and, and so we in our department, we teach clinical mental health counselors and school counselors. And obviously school counselors are gonna do something <laughs> in the school. Um, and counselors focus are a little, is a little bit different. It is a wellness model. And we look at the system and, and see what's impacting. A psychologist is mostly like one-on-one, -on -one, what's wrong, let's get this fixed. Sure. Um, so we all help people, it's just, uh, approaching it a little bit differently. Sure. And even from, you know, the, an elementary counselor is going to be a lot different than a middle school, which is going to be a lot different than a high school counselor. Cause the only ever, the only interaction I ever had with my high school counselor was when I was scheduling for my courses, which I'm sure True. is not the primary role that counselors want to be doing. So <laughs> probably not wanting to be, but around our area, that's a college access and scheduling is a lot of what a high school counselor does very different than what an elementary and middle school counselor might do now. Right. And you spent, so when you were a teacher, you were kindergarten and first grade and some special education as well, right? That's true. So then when you became a counselor, did you stay at the elementary level? I did. I did. Um, I've done different things um, along the way, some um, church youth groups and some other things with middle school and high schoolers. Uh, but there's nothing like being able to get a hug and give a hug and yeah. play with puppets and um, really get <laughs> down on, on the floor and in a beanbag chair. So I did. I was in, um, in a K-5 building. Okay. And what, what was your favorite thing about 
being a counselor versus being a classroom teacher? I really had a chance to dive a little bit deeper into helping those students that for whatever reason weren't learning. So when we talk about basic needs, for some reason they weren't feeling safe or they weren't feeling um, loved or they weren't included. There was something that was getting in the way of them learning and, and feeling successful in school. So I was able to, either whether it's in small groups or one-on-one, -on -one, and even just classroom lessons, get the information out there for them to, to grow help more healthy. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a music elementary music teacher. That's, that's my full-time gig. So I, I have a different challenge from the rest of the school building in that sense. But similarly, I think students all come to me for the most part, most students come in not really knowing a whole lot about music. So I feel like I've got a pretty good gig in the sense that everybody's coming in learning a new language. So it, it does kind of help to even the field for everybody. Um, at Westchester, you have a colleague that you had put together a textbook. Um, and then I, I got a chance to look through a little bit of that. Uh, obviously, most of it was over my head, but I, I was intrigued by just the title of it. So the, the textbook is titled Ethical Practice in, a, in the Human Services, and then Knowing to Being. Yeah. So first um, of all, what, what are human services and what does that textbook talk about? So the human services that we were targeting are the ones that um, I started to explain earlier, uh, social workers, uh, psychologists, clinical mental health counselors, school counselors. So a helping profession, professional, somebody who is with somebody when they're having some kind of difficulty and, and helping them get through, find a way to get through. The knowing to being, so I've done yeah. a, a couple different texts with this, my co-author now, and it's a way of actually becoming a different person. So I think of it this way, we really were concentrating on ethic, being ethical and doing what's right for your student or your client. Uh, sometimes that's hard because the system has a different idea of what you might sure. need to do. But being ethical and, and thinking of what the client or the student's rights are all the time isn't something that you could turn on and turn off. So if you're making these ethical decisions while you are um, talking with a student or talking with a client, and then you go out and you aren't thinking what's best for, for somebody and you act differently, then how can you say you're really an ethical practitioner? Sure. So you actually grow into that, into that role. That doesn't mean you can't have fun. Absolutely. It just, it just means you can't turn it on and off and, yeah. and you actually start to grow into that person. So it goes from just uh, knowing what is right to being what is right in, in terms of ethics, right? Yes. That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it, it you know, as a professional athlete, okay, you go to, you go to practice for, I, I don't know, six, eight hours a day, maybe, but the ones who are, you know, LeBron James or Ronaldo in soccer, you know, they're doing stuff outside of that rehearsal space, you know, that, that practice space to, to continue. It's a, it's ingrained in their lifestyle. So that makes a lot of sense. It, it, it does. Um, I, without actually mentioning that or actually reflecting on it, which we ask our students to do all the time, I'm not sure if people think about it. They know what they know what to do, but they don't always do that all the time. 
uh, and particularly as a counselor, you need to really be non-judgmental and you need to take the other person's perspective in order to be empathetic. And so you really have to know your biases and we all have them. And you need to know your, what your perspective is and your values. And then you need to be able to take them and put them over here in order to help the student and the person that you're, that's sitting across from you. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm currently reading Brene Brown's uh, Dare to Lead. There it is. Dare to Lead, if you've ever read uh, her book. So, and she talks about living into your values. And uh, the, the, almost the, the first half of the book is all about empathy and being able to truly empathize with somebody and not just speak the words that are associated with empathy. And it's, it's, uh, it's challenging for sure. It can be. Yeah. In terms of then the classroom teacher, you know, we kind of are the first line of counseling in a certain extent that some students get, especially if, if something happens at home and they come to school and they just need to get off their chest, they might tell a teacher first. And then, you know, the, you know, our job is to report it down the correct avenue if, if need be. But what do teachers need to know about kind of being that first line of defense as a, as a counselor in a, in a certain aspect? No, it's a great question, and and I I would hope that teaching candidates I think is the pre-service teachers now yeah. I think is, is the verbiage. Um, think about that because you are so you are so right. There, uh, students when we get back into school are going to spend a lot of time sure. in school. I think the bottom line is there is a, a function to every behavior. There's a reason behind everything and it really can't be dismissed. So to listen and affirm whatever's going on. And I think the more we come, uh, we have research on trauma-informed care and mm. it looks very similar. Trauma impact is very similar to what looks, um, what a student with attention deficit looks like or what a student with anxiety looks like. So we don't know what's going on. So to listen, to affirm, and to take the student's word that there's something going on. I'm not sure what it is, but something's wrong. So to, to be patient and, and know that, yep, this person's trusting me by either acting a certain way or telling me something, and I do need to do something with it. Yeah, and that can be really difficult, especially if, if you're a middle school or high school teacher and you see them for 45 minutes every other day. You know, it's, it's really hard to get to know the students in that sense. But uh, something that I, I think has been successful for me that, you know, I'm, I'm only five years into my teaching, so I'm, I'm definitely not a, 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 a expert. Thank you. <laughs> definitely not an es expert in dealing with a lot of stuff, but I've found a lot of success with if somebody comes in into my classroom and they're hot for whatever reason, you know, they're thrown a tantrum or they're just not acting the way that they normally act. I, I do a pretty good job of making sure that I just hold them back after class and don't even say, you know, don't even start lecturing them. Just say, what's going on? Mm -hmm. That's great. And that, that question, yeah. that question is, it can be so opening. That's you know, a, some, that's sometimes very good. it's just, sometimes it's just, I didn't have breakfast this morning. I'm sorry. Exactly. Exactly. You know. Yeah. That's a very good counseling technique. That's very, it's very yeah. good. It's an open-ended question. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm going to tap myself on my shoulder. There you go. <laughs> All right. So changing directions a little bit, a focus of some of your research is bullying. And sometimes that 
you, the the term bullying pops up and you kind of just see people cringe. Oh, I don't want to talk about that because that shouldn't be happening. And if it's happening under my nose, then I'm a bad teacher. You know, these are some of the thoughts that at least run through my brain. I hope they run through other people's brain too. But what makes a behavior bullying versus just two kids that are picking on each other? Yeah, mean behavior and, and bullying behavior. Um, it's actually good to distinguish and not only distinguish, but make sure parents and and students know the difference too. Uh, so bullying is repeated behavior and there's usually a power and there is a power differential. And, and so if something happens once, it's mean. Something happens twice, it's still probably mean. But if there is, if there's something that's <laughs> happening repeatedly and the reasoning for it, whether the person's conscious of, of it or not, is that there is some kind of power over that person then that, that's bullying. Um, and it comes in, in different ways. Cyber is probably the, the scariest one because it's accessible to so many people. Uh, but relational and physical, you know, things that we've um, seen before, gossiping and rumors and then actual uh, picking on somebody physically. Uh, I did the research before bullying was actually uh, being talked about. And, yeah. and so I think it's worth saying that, you know, bullying is not new at all. No. Um, and it's everywhere. And um, I think there used to be, I hope it's gone, but maybe not. But there used to be a sense that bullying was something you had to go, live through. And it, it's a, a rite of passage in your childhood, yeah. <laughs> in your adulthood or something. And, and that's not true. And it's, um, it needs to be talked about. I think what happened was it was recognized and it was finally starting to be talked about. And then it was like, well, everything is bullying and it isn't, but yeah. it does need to be talked about. I've definitely had some students come in and, and say, this person's bullying me. And I go, well, what do they do? And it's a very minor thing. I'm like, has this been happening all the time? No, it's just once. Okay. Right. It's not bullying. I'll talk to them, but we got to, we got to understand what the term bullying is actually referring to. Exactly. Um, so what does the research tell us about the effects of bullying uh, from individuals who have been bullied. I mean, obviously, we know that there's there's psychological uh, implications from it, but what is what is the research actually telling us? Um, you could look at many different things, and and because it's been looked at for such a long time, um, I think it's trustworthy enough to say yes. There's definitely an impact. I think it's going to depend on the individual. When it comes to school specifically, uh, then school absenteeism or tardyism or even dropout rates are increased. Um, achievement is decreased. Um, and certainly the personal toll, as you said, is probably the, the toughest. The idea of self-image and self-esteem. Um, and people will react differently. So that if you're stressed and you're not going to school and you're not included, uh, certainly it, it can lead to self-harm. Um, so nothing good. Yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing good. And I think you get to this, but it, it's worth saying that there are definitely things that we can be doing. And a teacher and a school are extremely important for the climate and the environment that they create. Um, and so you can create a positive environment in your classroom, for sure. That You're exactly right. That's where I was going. So what are some First of all, why, if, if you have an answer, great. If you don't, that's okay too. But why do some schools struggle with bullying more than other schools, you think? I would venture to say that unless you are 
acknowledging that humans might take power or control over other humans, um, and that's bullying. It can can mm. uh, um, the outcome could be bullying. So unless you're going to say yes, that does happen here, you're you're going to be in trouble because the districts or the schools that say that does not happen here, you're in trouble. <laughs> that's yeah, can't that's just first. speak it out of existence. Exactly. So you have to say yep. It happens. So what are we going to do about setting a climate, setting the expectation of language and behavior? And then what happens if you are not meeting those expectations? Um, so it definitely can happen within one classroom and it can happen within the environment of, of the school. Um, so expectations being set and then consequences being followed. That it's going to depend on the leadership. It's going to depend on the buy-in of the parents and the and the teachers. Some schools may have a bigger issue because of other systemic um, factors. Sure. So if you don't have enough resources, if classes are too big, if students aren't eating, if um, you know, there's a the host of factors that can impact. Absolutely. Um, why students would be not just mean to each other, but partake in bullying. Yeah, I think through some of the conversations that I've had uh, now with this with this podcast, I think one of the recurring role, uh, one of the recurring themes is you got to be honest, you just got to be honest and open with your students, and they're going to understand that. So if you feel like there is a struggle in your classroom or in your building with uh, bullying kind of not being taken care of, one of the things is like you said, just own it. Say, listen, this is happening. And then put it on the kids too. Like if, if this happens behind my back and I don't get a chance to see it, it's okay to come to me and I'm going to take care of it. And yeah, taking that ownership over it, uh, definitely a big step forward, I I would think. Yeah. And you know, from elementary school, if you start that early enough, if you start anything early enough um, and build on it all the time, don't let it go. Mm -hmm. uh, Little kids are very honest and they (laughs) they are, they will tell you (laughs) and, and they expect um, that honesty as well. So if, you, if the respect is there, they will definitely help. 100%. Absolutely. Um, another line of your research then is talking with students with disabilities. So is this uh, a separate topic that you research or is it in conjunction with bullying and specifically students with disabilities who are bullied? Actually, it started in, in conjunction. Mm-hmm. Um, my actual research was um, if there was a, a perspective, a difference between students with and without disabilities in feeling that they were bullied. Um, as it turns out, um, just about everybody thought they were being bullied. Yeah. So <laughs> it didn't matter. Um, and that led to a change in our curriculum as far as what is bullying, what is mean behavior, and what can we do about it, all of it, um, which was a good move. Uh, sure. Again, this was, oh gosh, um, probably about 15 years ago. So um, again, if you started early enough, now it's really gone to making sure everybody feels included and that mm-hmm. differences are celebrated. Um, and that's part of what bully that's part of what uh, bullies look for, differences and something that other people don't understand or what they could take advantage of. Um, so it moved to not just students with disabilities, but, students who speak a different language or students who are in another marginalized population um, who are the targets of bullying and discrimination more than others. Yeah. And I, uh, going back to kind of what you just said, just the fact that you did this research kind of with this thought 
and then the the data showed you something completely different saying oh everybody thinks they're bullied oh, okay well then what we were going to do isn't going to work very well so let's change our curriculum to and that's kind of that's that's the goal for this podcast is is to try to get this information out to teachers and and you know stop reinventing the wheel in so many different areas of the country and just you know something we think it's going to work this way and it doesn't if that's already happened over at this school then just learn from that school <laughs> let's not let's not go down idea. that same road by ourselves so i i just i love that story because it, it's again it's it's owning owning the process and owning you know the the outcomes that come from it that's it to to put a plug in for what we teach um school counselors now that that we take the needs of of the students and the particular system so whatever your school is take the needs of that particular population and and make changes that way um what's happening in your school might be very different than what's happening in mine oh absolutely there's there's not going to be two schools that are identical across the country but yeah. when the research is done the right way you would hope that it, it can be applied to all of those oh, absolutely those buildings. yeah all right. Very cool. Well, um, before we wrap up and head to our uh, exit ticket questions, was there any other just final thoughts or a few tips that you had for teachers uh, concerning the idea that they are kind of the first line of defense when it comes to counseling? Aside from being good listeners and, and being empathetic no matter what, and I know with um, 25 little kids, it could be tough or even 25 big kids. <laughs> it could be tough. <laughs> Um, I think if you take the time, and this is research proven, but if you take the time to make your classroom a community, um, it's worth it as, at the beginning of the school year, get your expectations, work together, um, bring up the issues and, and the concerns and teach conflict resolution and problem solving. If you do it as a team, your school year and your classroom will be much more productive. Um, and then it's certainly if you need more support, um, there are support people that are there for you. But taking the time to, to really make it a community would be great. Yeah, slow down to speed up. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, uh, we are then moving to our final part of our interview, which I call our exit ticket questions. These are the same four questions that I ask everybody that I interview. And let's get started with number one. Do you have any book recommendations, either along the lines of what we've talked about or just, you know what, this is a good book that teachers need to read? Well, um, I'm actually going to go with something that looks like a, a children's book. Um, Perfect. What, what it means to be present. And it's by Reina Diorio. I had a okay. Take a look at that. Um, it, with the mindfulness um, focus that that's come up in the last probably five years, and we're going to need more than ever. Uh, it's the idea of of helping not just our students, but helping ourselves be with that person, give that full attention, make sure um, we're connecting as humans, not just as um, something I have to do. Um, so it's 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 a cute book. Um, it works in first grade and it works in graduate school. So, um, Perfect. Universal. something about being present. The other two that I think I'm not even sure if one's outdated now, but I'll, I'll refer to both. They're both kind of programs. One was positive discipline, but I think the responsive classroom is something that keep is going. And that those books and programs that go with those have to do with building the community in your class. Right. Which is no easy task. Oh, no, is, it takes time. That is a year-long process for sure. It does. 
Okay. Uh, any other resources, either digital or hard copies that, you know what, this is just a good resource to have for, for teachers? Um, if, if they aren't aware of some of the websites that are great and free, um, tolerance.org, okay. www.tolerance.org is I haven't is heard a great of it, one. so I'll, I'll have to check it out. It's a, it's a great one. And there, there are others specifically for, again, either marginalized populations, but tolerance.org. Um, list started them off. Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, Glisten is also really a good one. Um, Intervention Central. I think if you just Google um, Colorado Color, I think is another one. Um, but tolerance.org started the Buddy Bench. I don't know if okay. you're familiar with that. that. Yeah. Um, and, and the idea is that if you see someone um, that isn't involved, go to them and see if you want to in include them in either your recess or your group or, or your talk or whatever it is. Oh, lovely. And as always, all of these will be linked up in our show notes so people can go check those out there. Uh, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to teachers, uh, especially new teachers? Um, I would say remember why you went into the field. Whatever your passion yeah. was, please try to think of and reflect on it daily. And we have so many challenges in, in the schools and just being a teacher right now. Um, think of what that love was. Um, and know that you are not alone and don't, don't be alone. Yes. Yeah. That if I could go back and tell year one teacher, Mr. Roots, right. don't, don't do it on your own. I spent so many hours online trying to figure out what my lessons would be, where if I just reached out to a colleague, they probably had the answer. <laughs> right. Or collaborate and yeah. And share. Absolutely. Yeah. You're not alone. Absolutely. Wonderful. All right. Well, if anybody wants to reach out to you, um, where would be the best place for them to find you? I would say uh, my Westchester email. Okay. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Kay Dickinson at wcupa.edu. Yeah. So if anybody has any any questions about what we talked about or just uh, wants yeah, some yeah. more resources that you might have available. Um, or, or collaborate. Or take any of your classes. <laughs> yeah, take classes or interested in researching. So uh, I've done research with um, people in the K to 12 schools. So if anybody's interested, uh, we've done this year, we did more information on social media um, and on careers, which is huge. So yeah, if anybody's interested, has a spark, I'm well, willing. I will have to bring you back on so we can talk about that research next time then. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, it was a pleasure chatting with you. I'm glad we got the time to do this. and. Uh, I hope you stay healthy throughout this time and uh, best of wishes for the rest of the semester. Thank you. You too, John. All right. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Dr. Karen Dickinson with us on that episode. And we covered a wide variety of topics. Um, and there were some really valuable points in there that I just want to highlight quick. First of all, uh, it's imperative that we as teachers start to build some counseling skills because in reality, we are the first line of counseling that students might get. You know, as we start to build these relationships and we start to make these connections with our students, they're going to start to open up. And when they do, it's really important to have some of those skills so that we can respond appropriately when, when students do that. Um, so knowing our values and knowing our own biases is super important because in order to truly empathize with and truly uh, see something from somebody else's perspectives, we have to take our own uh, 
experiences and and set those aside so that we can truly connect with our students. Another point to keep in mind is that there's a reason behind every behavior that's in our classroom. Okay, so it's as easy as it is to just write it off and say, oh, there's another one of those behaviors. We have to understand that even if a student can't express why they did something, <laughs> there's a reason for it. Um, and it's it's important that we don't necessarily need to know that there's a reason, but we can't write those behaviors off as um, nothing happening. There's There's something there. And just to acknowledge it and kind of keep it in our mind moving forward so that we can respond in the future in a, in a more appropriate way. We also discussed the concept of bullying in this episode. And uh, again, there's some key points from that conversation that I think will be really helpful. First of all, the distinction between bullying and just mean behavior is an important one for both teachers and students to know. Bullying is characterized by repeated behaviors combined with some sort of power differential. And we all probably know this, but <laughs> there are some things that we can do as teachers to mitigate the amount of bullying that takes place in our classroom. And it starts right at the beginning of the year. Teaching conflict resolution and problem-solving skills will pay dividends throughout the year um, if we take the time to do that at the beginning. Also, setting behavior boundaries and sticking to them is so important. You know, I spent uh, some time as a soccer referee uh, for a few years coming through high school and, and college. And I know from experience that parents and players and coaches got the most frustrated with me as the referee when the calls were inconsistent. You know, if something happened on the field and uh, I called a foul, that's one thing. But if that same thing happened again later on and I didn't call the foul, that's when there were problems, you know. And it's the same for our classroom. When our reaction and our consequences are predictable to students, then they are able to better manage their own behaviors within those restrictions. Um, and b believe me, I'm, I'm talking to myself uh, about this as much as I am to all of you. So we are in this boat together. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I hope you got some value out of it. I would really love to hear from you. Okay, If you have an idea uh, from your classroom or you got an idea or you are seeing some results from a change that you made or if you just have your own insights and you'd like to share them uh, about this topic, go ahead and leave a comment on the bottom of our show notes page and check out everything else that we discussed in this episode by going to jabbadoo.com slash show four. That's J-A-B-B-E-D-U dot com slash show with the number four. I look forward to reading those responses, and I hope to share some of those thoughts on a future episode. So again, jabbadoo.com slash show four. And until next time, go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice, and that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content, and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you, I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.